We need your help to keep the North Omaha History Podcast on the air. Please go to NorthOmahaHistory.com slash podcast, click on the Patreon button, and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And thanks to Jim Collison for becoming a patron. Welcome to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Each week, Adam takes you on a guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past. The African-American football player, coach, and ESPN commentator Herm Edwards grew up in a military family. His father, in fact, a World War II hero, told Herm the only thing he could do about racism is shine a light on it. Adam did that in a previous podcast on racism in Omaha. And and there's some more events I'd like to talk about with Adam Uh, Uh, The first is the proposal to abolish slavery in 1859 in Omaha. Talk about that, Adam. So, Steve, I think it's important to put a a quick pin on the reality that uh, Nebraska had slaves. When it was a territory uh, before 1867, uh, there was a a hard time regulating whether or not slaves were actually going to be in the territory and then allowed into the state. And one of the things that... uh, uh, the the politicians really wrangled with was how to get this reality of Nebraska being uh, slave free and 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 devoid of that entire institution of racism. The the way that they wanted to do it was by pushing through laws. <clears throat> they weren't focused on culture change. They weren't focused on changing the hearts and minds of people. They just wanted a law that would make it illegal and stop it altogether. They had a hard time with it, and the folks from south of the Platte River really wanted to have slaves in Nebraska, as a matter of fact, uh, and and they went north as well. There was no part of the state that was really devoid of this kind of scourge of slavery early on. Uh, There was a census that happened in in 1859 that showed that uh, there were at least 14 slaves living in the city at that point. That same year, there was a slave named Eliza who broke off from her slave master, and there was a story printed about her in Chicago where she was caught by a slave catcher and uh, presumably brought back to Omaha, but we don't know the rest of the story. So we know that slavery was a going concern in the city. So in 1859, you know, we had all kinds of things that happened in the early years of the Nebraska Territory Legislature, including the notorious... Uh, brawl that happened in the middle of the of the Capitol building where you had legislators from south of the Platte River and legislators from the north of the Platte River fighting each other over where the Capitol should be and who should be in control and this kind of thing. Uh, and then later on, of course, um, the Capitol getting, getting stolen for a half a day and taken to Florence uh, where it was illegally run as a legislature for a half a day before it was, and, and all the legislators there were told that that's all bunkus, take it back to the city. So as by way of framing, we can see that the Nebraska Territorial Legislature was a raucous place. There's a great book by a guy named David Bristow, a historian named David Bristow. He actually works for the Nebraska State Historical Society. And the book's called Dirty Wicked Omaha. And uh, man, it's a heck of a town. It's got these great stories about the, le- the Territorial Legislature in there. One of the things that the legislature did early on was trying to wrangle with the slavery issue. And since they couldn't get anything passed through, uh, the the Omaha City Council took it upon themselves. And basically we know now that they essentially abolished slavery in the city in 1859. And when they did that, it it upset some people and they lost some uh, city investors, some people who had started in Omaha but decided to leave. 
They went back to Nebraska City. They went back to um, for points further south and uh, left Omaha. But that's the story of how the Omaha City Council really came to reject slavery itself. Fast forward a bit. Birth of a Nation plays in Omaha and the Reverend John Albert Williams. John Albert Williams was this uh, fascinating character. Um, he was an Episcopalian minister, African-American, and highly educated. Uh, basically came from uh, other part of the country and, and came to Omaha and laid the template for African-American civil rights movement uh, later on. He really became uh, active throughout the city, developing and creating uh, different ways to fight for civil rights. The fascinating part for me is that Williams was born in 1866 and kind of the height of his activism in Omaha was around, uh, well, between the late 1880s and the early 1920s. He, he, just, he just was a man on fire. He started a newspaper in Omaha called The Enterprise. Uh, it was one of nine different African-American newspapers that I've tracked throughout the city's history and, and definitely a fascinating paper. He got other people involved in the black press, including uh, Thomas Muhammad, who is a fascinating character in North Omaha and Omaha's history in general. Later on, when uh, he was involved uh, with, with getting uh, more formal civil rights movements going, the Enterprise actually worked to support the United Negro Improvement Association, which was Marcus Garvey's uh, Back to Africa movement. And basically, uh, John Albert Williams was a really busy guy about town. I mean, he was just constantly out there. He, he was married to a writer named Lucinda Gamble, who actually became a school teacher in Omaha. Um, she was the first African-American teacher in Omaha Public Schools. In the 1910s, uh, a movie came out. And this movie was called The Birth of a Nation. And it was a, um, it was a dangerous movie for a lot of reasons. The Birth of a Nation is a story of the United States is led by white people throughout all of its history and really painted African-Americans to be irrelevant, painted them to be slaves, painted them to be less than human because of the color of their skin. The movie came out in 1915 uh, and for the next six or seven years it was a big deal all across the United States. It was the first long-form film in the United States. It was like 12 reels long and got a lot of attention for that but more so and and worse so it, it really made racism okay so here comes the point where uh john albert williams and the birth of a nation collide uh williams in his effort to promote anti-racism to promote the end of white supremacy and to really um challenge complacency about racism in the united states at that point and especially in omaha John Albert Williams got really, really involved and active in challenging and fighting Birth of a Nation showing in Omaha. Uh, the, it was in all the big theaters for a long time. It was in the Brandeis Theater, it was in the Orpheum, and a lot of other big theaters. But uh, there wasn't a lot that Williams found that he could do originally, um, when the movie first came out, which in Omaha, which was in 1916. There was a police judge that tried to stop uh, the, the movie from being shown, but it didn't work. So basically, John Albert Williams uh, began to protest. He started with writing letters to the city council. The city council made the police commissioner stop the movie 
but the movie kept showing anyhow afterwards. John Albert Williams got really involved in getting other people to come and picket and protest outside of the theater. Uh, there was actually a ban on kids going to the movie, and the movie company was successful in getting that to that ban lifted. So John Albert Williams was definitely fighting an uphill battle. Williams ended up getting the Omaha Women's Club. He ended up getting the Jewish people in Omaha. He ended up getting a variety of different players involved in uh, fighting the movie. And it came to Mayor Dahlman, uh, Cowboy Jim Dahlman himself, who was well, kind of notorious for being ruthless. Uh, Dahlman stood up against it and told the, the KKK that it is not okay um, to show this movie. They told the mo he told the movie theater itself that it wasn't okay. He, and then, uh, John Albert Williams got the, uh, Omaha Women's Club to really begin, um, picketing the movie. It ended up working. And luckily, yeah, the, the movie stopped showing eventually. Uh, and, and Williams is credited with having stopped that from happening. Okay, let's fast forward again to World War II, and hopefully I'm going to pronounce this priest's name right, but it's Father Hiram H. Kano, uh, an Episcopalian priest from out in the middle of Nebraska, I believe. He came to Omaha for a conference, and he was put in jail. Yeah, there was a whole um, kind of scare that was going on in Nebraska and nationwide um, during World War II focused on uh, Asian Americans. We know, of course, that they were uh, routinely rounded up and sent to live in, um, in detention camps. So Hiram Cano was a, an Episcopalian priest um, from Scotts Bluff. Uh, he had a big congregation there. And um, in 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, uh, the United States Army issued warrants for every single person in the United States who looked Asian. Hiram Kano's family had uh, immigrated to the States earlier, and he was a legal citizen. But, you know, a lot of his congregation members had lived in Scotts Bluff for more than 50 years. They were multi-generational immigrants to the United States who were just as American as any white person walking the street. But because of the color of their skin, they were rounded up and forced into internment camps. So Hiram Kano was in Omaha at the time of Pearl Harbor, the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941. And Kano, a priest, was thrown into the internment camps because he was, uh, because he looked Asian, uh, because he, because of his Japanese descent. And that's the only reason why they never had a case against him. He ended up spending four years in, locked up in the internment camps uh, because of the color of his skin. That's a clear and obvious case of racism in Omaha, obviously. The Jewish community, um, the Bagel and Highland Country Club. To really understand the, the impact of Bagel and uh, Highland and other steps like that, I think it's important to really get our head wrapped around the Jewish community. And I think we should probably do another uh, podcast on that on a different time. But basically, Steve, what it comes down to was that North Omaha between Cumming Street and Lake Street was a hotbed of Jewish culture uh, for about 75 years, um, starting from the beginning of the city in 1854 all the way into, well, I'd, I'd even say the 1950s and 60s. 
Jews had synagogues, they had businesses, they had community centers, they had schools, they had all kinds of different elements, activities, institutions throughout North Omaha. They had an old folks home, they had a ritual bath. I mean, they had all these different things that were going on right there in the middle of, in the heart of North Omaha. You gotta remember at this point, that community, again, between 30th and about 14th Street, between Cumming and Lake, was ram-packed with humanity. There were so many houses and apartment buildings there, it's hard to fathom, really, honestly, it's hard to fathom how many people actually lived in that area. But here's a hint, 10,000. Today, there's fewer than 2,500. But at one point, 10,000 people lived within those blocks. And that's about 30, 40 blocks total. So folks were living really close to each other, and there were Jewish people, and there were African Americans, and there were Scandinavians, and there were Germans, and there were Americans, and there were English, and there were so many different ethnic groups that lived in that area, in that region of the city. But Jews had a really vibrant culture that, because of their um, commitment to the way that they, to their culture and customs uh, within their faith and within their heritage, um, they were obviously Jewish sometimes for speaking Yiddish, for looking a certain way, for dressing a certain way, and also for the parts of the European continent where they came from. There were lots of Russian Jews, Hungarian Jews, um, Bulgarian Jews, Jews from Germany, Jews from Poland, who were all congregating right there in North Omaha. So you can really get that sense that it was urgent. We've talked before about the redlining that happened in Omaha starting in 1919 and the lynching of Will Brown. That was really a penultimate moment because it caused a lot of things to happen. One of the other things that it caused to happen besides redlining was this uh, trend called white flight. White flight was basically, and it still goes on today, it's any massive migration of white people out of a community on the basis of race. Not on the basis of class or culture or economics, but on the basis of race. So in the 1920s, uh, after the redlining happened in 1919, uh, white people started to flee North Omaha en masse. I mean, they were gone. They were out. They wanted new places to live, new ways to be. And so we really saw Omaha start to develop beyond West Omaha, which at that point was anything up to North 42nd Street. People just started to push it out. They wanted to go further on. And so the Field Club neighborhood developed more. Uh, the different parts of South Omaha started to develop more and lots of what we know now is North Omaha, but then it was West Omaha. Anything west of 42nd Street started to develop more. What Jewish people started to run into in the 1930s was a resistance to them because they were Jewish. Not only was racism alive in Omaha, but the racism that allowed anti-Semitism that allowed white people from Europe and, um, quote, Americans to um, discriminate against Jewish people was alive and well in Omaha. And lots of housing covenants were started and lots of housing restrictions were started to keep Jewish people from living in, quote, a white people's neighborhoods. So these covenants led to Jews establishing their own neighborhoods and, and really building out where they wanted to. A large tract of land was bought in so-called West Omaha, and that really became the Jewish neighborhood. It was out by Dundee um, and Happy Hollow and, and that area. Jewish people started building their own homes in there. Um, today we know that that neighborhood was called Bagel uh, because of its, its Jewish population. I mean, that's, that's just what they called it. And, and you know, some people will, will say it is kind of a joke, oh, it's called Bagel, but it was really discrimination to say the least. 
that neighborhood today, we know that, you know, it's, it's northwest of Memorial Park and it's mostly ranch style houses um, that, that are packed in there. But when Jews were moving in, uh, it was a very vibrant place and, and a really important place for the Jewish community to continue. Another thing that Jews ran into at the same time in Omaha was, again, with that discrimination, was the desire uh, to recreate, you know, and to have fun and to do their own thing. Yeah, the the Jewish people started to move into um, white people's, uh, or tried to move into uh, so-called white people's facilities and, and the Omaha Country Club and Field Club, and they weren't allowed uh, because of that discrimination against Jews. Uh, so in 1924, the Highland Country Club opened up way out at 132nd and Pacific. And it, can, it continued to exist because, and it was a Jewish-only country club for about 20 years. Not Jewish-only because other non-Jews played there. Warren Buffett himself got his start playing golf uh, at the Highland Country Club. And we know that he's not Jewish. Um, because Jews were much more accepting in Omaha than white people were in turn, quote, white people. So that discrimination really led to the evolution of those uh, social facilities, the residential neighborhoods, and different things. But we have to remember that they all evolved out of white flight from North Omaha and the desire of the Jewish community to really leave those historical roots that they once had in the neighborhood. Adam, thanks. These two programs on racism in Omaha, while it might be a little tough to listen to, it does shine a light on, on racism and tell the story of it. And uh, next week, we're, we're going to talk about uh, North Omaha schools, and, and there's a lot to talk about there. We, we need your help to keep this North Omaha History podcast afloat. Go to NorthOmahaHistory.com slash podcast. Click on the Patreon button and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. If you like this program, tell your friends about it. Check out Adam's great selection of books on Amazon. And Adam, how, how can you be reached? You know, Steve, I love to get emails and phone calls from the masses. And I invite anybody to send an email to info at NorthOmahaHistory.com or give me a call. You can find my number right there on NorthOmahaHistory.com as well. Thanks for listening to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Join us next week as Adam takes you on another guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past.